Hi, Killjoys. Rachel here with a brief message before we start the show. So the Feminist Killjoys PhD podcast has partnered with its very first sponsor, and I hope you all know that Melody and I would not participate in sponsorship if we didn't actually believe in what the sponsor was doing. So I'm very proud and excited to share that we are currently sponsored by the MA in Critical Studies program at the Pacific Northwest College of Art because we need to interrogate, intervene, and reimagine like never before. For more information or to apply, visit pnca.edu slash critical studies. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today, we are excited to kick off our second theme month, this time focused on sex and love, theme appropriate, of course, for February. And we are beginning with an interview with queer black sex worker, Zaya Kendall. And we're super excited to share the interview. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? They can find us on select places. I'll list a few. Subscribe to us on your favorite (laughs) podcast app. Uh, Extra FKJ points if you use the iTunes app and do that little reviewy thing we keep asking you to do or log into your iTunes and find a very complicated way to leave us a review. Both appreciated on the social media tip. You can follow us on the gram, follow us. Our, our stories are hilarious. Uh, Twitter. We have a Twitter <laughs> thing, a thingamajig with the tweets and Facebook. We have just a regular old page. You can like us or you can join our closed community group where we have fun conversations about femininity and makeup, for example. So that closed community group is Feminist Killjoys Community Dash WTF Power Exclamation Point. On Spotify, we have a Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape that includes our outro music. And if you have extra dollars and want to support feminist media makers, you can become a monthly micro donator on patreon or you become a one-time donator or a sometimes donator through our website either way you can go to fkjphd.com and you'll see links to both our patreon and a one-time donation just click on the birdie for that one-timer thing and uh patreons if you give us a dollar or more a month you get access to our killjoy review newsletter that comes out weekly and as most of the labor goes to Rachel on that one, thank you. And uh, $5 or more gets you bonus apps. And we just put a bonus app up about Rachel. The new Bechtel test versions. Well, uh, 538's proposals for new iterations of the Bechtel test. It was a fun up. It was a fun bonus app. It was super fun. And I just wrapped you up into that. You're like, I'm just relaxing, sipping my <laughs> water. And now she's calling me in. What is this? Uh, and of course, feel free to email me and Rachel back into 2004. FKJ.PhD at gmail.com. You can also call us at 414-858-7818. Also, pause on the sticker requests they have been overwhelmingly requested we have a spreadsheet going and i will be sending out the stickers but i want to pause on it because i want to make sure i have enough stickers to send out um, Fair. so Fair yeah we're gonna pause so today is july just kidding it's january uh <laughs> january 30th so if you've emailed us on january 30th or before you i hope to goodness have a sticker um, anything that comes in after today, we will just add to our folder, but I just can't guarantee anything. So I will report back shortly once I count up the sticker quantity and the requests. But thank you so much for your requests and sending us your addresses. They will go out shortly. 
How are you, Rachel? I'm good. I had a really nice week, actually. My classes started, so as many people who have been listening for a while know that I no longer work full-time as an academic, but uh, I did decide to pick up some adjunct classes this spring, and one of those classes is at Tufts, and I, I have to say it is amazing. The students at Tufts are fucking amazing. They are engaged and thoughtful and lovely, and I'm just in... I, I got... I got a little bitter at my at my job that was not going to hire me back full time last year. So my my last year of teaching was um, I didn't necessarily have those like teacher high feelings like I used to, but I really got those back even within the matter of two classes. So um, I'm really grateful for my class at class at Tufts. Shout out if any of those lovely students are listening. As uh, they should be given the topic given the topic that it is a podcasting for social change class. So yeah, that's been that's put me in a really good mood and things are good. I'm working on some writing projects that I'll be getting paid for and uh feeling feeling pretty good. It's Aquarius season. I'm feeling creative. I wrote a poem the other day. I haven't written a poem in I can't even remember how long. It was really nice. Like and just for me. Like maybe I'll put it in a zine, but I, I just like wrote a poem for myself. If you weren't my lovely. sister I would have rolled my eyes, but <laughs> 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 but I did love you I was like oh that's so cute <laughs> yeah which I have to also give a shout out to my friends in my Boston friends who knew that for my birthday party I said no gifts but like print out or write out one of your favorite poems because like I'm just I've just been kind of like craving like poetry so after reading a bunch of poetry the last couple of weeks I'm like I'm gonna write one so that's, that's how awesome. that started anyway how about you how have you been I've been how have I been? I've talked to you. Have I been good? I've been good. I've been good. I've been focusing. I had a nice conversation with my partner about time work balance. Wait, wor- yeah, work life balance, I guess. And so I'm trying mm-hmm. to be more intentional about how much time I spend working at home. So that is a good thing. So I'm glad that he brought it up because I think sometimes people like are. I'm just glad he brought it up. This is the point of communication, y'all. It's good to share what's bothering you with other people because they have no idea sometimes and then you share it and then things change, hopefully. So I've been acknowledging that because it's good for me, right, to like be more efficient with my work and work in ways that doesn't impact my life at home. Like that's not a good way to work or live. So I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to this. So it's an ongoing challenge that I've been working on for many years since I realized I was like a total workaholic. Grad school mm-hmm. really, that was like really good for my addiction, going to grad school. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> So I've been in recovery since then. Honestly, like that's, I'm not trying to make fun of. Make light of that, no, right? yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, so that's been great. And teaching has been really great. I got to talk about the Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson Super Bowl performance from 2004 this, this week. Excellent. We were, Which is wild because a lot of them probably barely remember it. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. There were like four. Some of them were four. Right. Uh, so I got to wild. tell them. Yeah. Well, because we were talking about media law this week. So I was like, oh, perfect. The FCC, they tried to find CBS for Justin Timberlake ripping off Janet's costume. And then Janet, Janet's career tanked. And then here's an interview of Justin Timberlake in 2007 saying he wished he did stuff differently. It was amazing. Like, I just... It is so cool to teach people like media, quote unquote, history that we live through. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, fresh, fresh ears. Let me tell you. You have right, no right. idea. You have no opinion on this. Let right. me tell you what happens. <laughs> right. Right. So that's been, yeah. a, that's been a highlight. Um, oh, I also, Fun. sorry, my last thing is I went to North Dakota again. I, yep. I think I've told you. But you found food. You found food this time, though. Yeah, but barely. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
had uh, <laughs> when I found the food, it was fucking phenomenal. But like the hour, you know, I'm I am a city girl. I'm not used to being in small smaller cities where like things close at eight, things yeah. aren't open on Sunday. There's not vegan food on every single corner, and there's not here either. But you know, right. it's like. Yeah. There's a pizza joint I can call until 3 a.m. to get vegan pizza in the city. Right. There's like no such right. thing in, in uh, North Dakota. So. Right. <laughs> Very fascinating. I'll have yeah. to say more about North Dakota later, but that was also enjoyable. Yeah. All right. And, you know, love to all of our listeners in North Dakota. I'm sure we have some. So no offense. Like, Oh, not at all. That, that, could, that could have come off really. Oh, I yeah. didn't I mean, mean that's be. Your partner is from there. They Your partner even goes by the name Dakota because... That's where they're they from. They have affinity for it. So, yeah. you know, we're not we're not hating on it. Melody's just being a cranky vegan is all. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, excellent. Okay, well, let's get to the interview because I'm really excited about it. I'm also excited that it's Sex and Love Month because I love a good theme. I'm going to talk about who we talked to. So, Zaya Kendall is a queer black sex worker living in New Orleans. She is an online and real-time dominatrix who specializes in financial domination, among other kinks and fetishes. When she isn't dominating submissive clients, Zaya pursues her BA degree in communications and Africana studies. In her free time, Zaya enjoys engaging with the vibrant online sex work community to learn and connect with other sex workers. I want to give a shout out to my friend Jason, who I discovered Zaya through. Jason Albus is a photographer. He splits his time between Minneapolis and New Orleans and uh, gets paid doing wedding photography and also does a lot of sex work photography. But in the new year, he decided that to be a better ally and accomplice to sex workers um, as a as a cis man, that he's going to stop charging sex workers for uh, for photos shoots. So he's rad. He's a rad feminist ally. And um, that's how I discovered Zaya. So, so glad that we found Zaya and grateful for Jason. Shout out, Jason, if you're listening. So I'm excited to get to the interview because we had a good time. So take us there, Mel. So Zaya, thank you so much for joining us. We just told our listeners who you are, but can you tell us a little bit about how you got into sex work, uh, how long you've been doing it? Um, Interestingly enough, I actually learned about webcamming through an internet pop up. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, that's kind of the thing that I just shut out and I'm like, whatever, my computer has another virus. Great. But I clicked on the link and I saw all of these girls having a really good time engaging with their members, playing games. And it was a really lighthearted and personal way of sex work that I had never seen before. And it seemed really intriguing to me rather than the more produced form of sex work, like being a porn star that works for an agency mm-hmm. and goes, you know, and goes to professional shoots and has their makeup done and everything. Because I don't think that I'm necessarily cut out for that kind of work. I like to work on my own and be my own boss. So that was that was something else that was appealing to me. But at that time I was living in the dorms and I had a roommate. So it wasn't going to work out. So I used that time to take take the time to do some research on it and make sure it was something I really wanted to do. So I actually researched for about a year before I started. I really thought about it because I knew about the stigma that was attached and I didn't want to make such a big life decision if it wasn't something I was going to stick with. Um, so I started about a year ago. My anniversary is actually next month. Um, Happy anniversary. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
well, first, my first comment is that I love the the point that camming is kind of like this like DIY kind of punk entrepreneur, you know, be your own entrepreneur kind of like mm-hmm. thing versus working for, you know, literally the man, which is often the case in a lot of these porn, corp- you know, basically corporations in the adult film industry. So I really love mm-hmm. that note. And also like, yeah, it's it's a it's a big decision because of the stigma. I love the how you got into it because it's so almost meta because the beginning of the internet was so dominated by sex work. And so just like Mm -hmm. the fact that, yeah, I was just thinking about that, like how meta that is. So that's cool that that's what got you into it. Do you mind if I ask you more directly about feminism? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So just so you know, um, our listeners, if they've been longtime listeners or even, you know, multi-episode listeners, we end up talking about sex work a lot, actually. And Mm -hmm. our listeners know that we're very pro-sex, pro-sex work feminist. And we've talked, like, we've had an, we actually had a whole episode on the porn wars where we talked about how feminists feel when they're against porn and sex work and what feminists feel when they're for sex work and pornography. Um, And so, like, through those discussions, we've made the point very clearly that sex workers have agency and they're not just dupes of the patriarchy. And then also that sex work should be considered work just like any kind of labor. And so, talking about exploitation or not being exploited or wages, all that stuff is like important conversations to have within sex work as well, right? So I was curious if you could talk a little bit about both of those things. So first off, kind of sex workers, including yourself, having agency and not just being a dupe of the patriarchy, and then also sex work as labor and labor thoughts and questions that you've had doing this work. Um, Those are excellent questions. I think that my brand of sex work is feminist. I can't speak for everybody though. I wanna make that clear before I continue with what I'm about to say, because I think there are unfeminist ways to do sex work. Mm. But in my experience and the way that I like to prevent or prevent, <laughs> present myself is um, I'm giving myself the ultimate form of agency because I choose who I speak to, who my clients are, how I allow myself to be treated and spoken to. Because if I don't want to take a client because he's being rude or disrespectful, then I don't have to if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I, I can say no and not have repercussions for that, which is very important to me. Because, I mean, I'm a university student. I am graduating in May. And I'm, you know, I'm on a path to be able to have a vanilla job if I want to. But doing sex work is very liberating for me and the thought of not having to answer to anybody but myself is very appealing and that's one of the reasons why I started and I felt like that was an incredibly feminist move to make for myself to be able to only answer to me and not let anybody make me do anything I don't want to do or represent a company or like anything that doesn't represent my own values does that make sense Totally. I don't know if I was just jumbling my words or not. <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the hardest things for any worker, including Melody and I as professors who work in university systems that make terrible decisions about taking so much tuition from students and, you know, paying coaches so much more money and then refusing to pay mm-hmm. athletes, like all of these things that universities do, we have to grapple with as being empl- like employees of, of, their, of the decisions mm-hmm. they make. And so whether it's 
being a university professor or working for like fucking Walmart, which is a terrible corporation, you know, whatever the job is, like people have to grapple with their yeah. boss. And when you're your own boss, you get to set the the rules, which is just I completely understand why that can be understood as feminist and really empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. And then another thing connecting to that is I do understand why people think that we are dupes of the patriarchy because it can look like that on the surface. But I charge people to be able to have access to my time and my body and my mind and my emotional labor. And that's something that a lot of women give out for free to people that are undeserving. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love that. And I want to get more into that when we get into Findom stuff. But fuck yeah. Like the fact that you get to demand money for the work that so many women get taken advantage of for doing is like badass as fuck. <laughs> so that's that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I always when I was learning about when I was a baby feminist and learning about the sex work industry, that was one of the things that I thought of myself is like, wait a minute, this is like totally rad because they because these women make a shit ton of money for like doing, you know, for things that other women will just do for fun for free. So I just love that. Or not for fun or for like, I mean, it would be fun if we were all getting paid for it all the time, but it's not fun to do emotional labor for, you know, for like, needy men a lot of times mm-hmm. but it yeah. would it would be more fun if if we were getting paid for it if, and if there was like playful kink dynamics happening yeah so that's awesome oh you don't i'm sorry you don't find like taking care of really sensitive <laughs> men fun. yeah yeah maybe it just turns out sorry i expanded the idea to also include just like regular i didn't mean for it just to be about emotional labor i should have clarified that but yeah, my uh, one of my friends who's a dom, she sometimes just makes a ton of money just doing like emotional stuff, like nothing sex related, just like nurturing and holding. And it's, you know, when you talk to sex workers, it turns out it's a lot different than with just the stereotypes and stuff. So right. like I should make a caveat that like some people get really upset when we make jokes like this and it's like, but what about sex trafficking and what about the women that do like get drawn into this and so I just want to say that this is very different we're not talking about non-consensual sex work right make that clear some people get very upset about the jokes people have a very hard time distinguishing that right what yeah which is beyond me because to me as a sex worker there's a very clear distinction right and what's really frustrating is I feel like a lot of the anti-sex trafficking uh, which we are too obviously anti-sex trafficking but a lot of the advocates for that really try to shut down pro-sex work conversations. And it's like, no, the more we uplift sex workers who choose to do that, because trafficking is not work. It's it's not sex work. It's trafficking. Um, Yeah, it's slavery. Right, exactly, exactly. So the more Mm -hmm. we uplift people who are actually choosing to do this as a job, the more clear it will become distinct from the slave, like literal slavery. So anyway, but yeah, no, thank you for, for clarifying on the, on how it can be totally feminist and how that form of labor is, is also like you're describing a very gendered labor that so many women don't get paid for. And so again, that's 
such a great reflection on that. I would also love to hear more about the fact that you identify as a queer black woman and you, mm-hmm. you know, are in a world that is often, whether it's sort of people's perception is that it's all like straight white women that look a particular way, mm-hmm. which I think is probably disproportionately the case. But, but of course, there is a whole world of non, you know, straight cis white women that are also in in sex work but I would love to just know your experiences of being a queer black woman and positive experiences you've had and possibly also you know I'm I'm assuming also negative experiences given that racism and homophobia are a thing in the world so yeah I decided from the get-go that I was never going to be quiet about my identity because if I'm already working so hard why put more work onto myself by trying to hide who I really am? If I'm going to be charging people to let them into my mind and my body, I'm, I don't want to give anything that's fake. Like, yes, I will role play. Yes, I am an enhanced version of myself, but I'm still me. And never for a second was I going to put away my politics, put away my sexuality and put away my blackness just to make a coin. That's just not who I am. And in the beginning, I really did think most of sex work was cis white women. And one of the positives of being in this industry is I've realized that all kinds of people are desirable to somebody. People are looking for black women. They're looking for fat people. They're looking for trans people. They're looking for tall people, short people, people of any race, gender, religion. Like, doesn't matter. Like, there is somebody out there that finds somebody desirable, which is awesome to me. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to be a queer Black woman if I wanted to be in the mainstream, but I don't. So I'm not going out of my way to be into in the elite scene. So it doesn't bother me very much. But that being said, I have gotten some pushback from being my queer self. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've got I've gotten some slurs in my inboxes or people in my cam rooms saying lewd things. But if you're a sex worker, you have to have thick skin. Yeah. So I block them and move on because the people the people that are there for me are there for me. And whenever that kind of thing happens, there's always somebody that jumps on to be like, I'm sorry, people are like that. Um, that's not going to be all of your clients. There's some of us here that love and appreciate you for who you are. So there, I've just geared myself towards the queer community. So I think that people expect it out of me. It's not like I ever come, come out with any surprises because I've always been transparent about who I am and what my opinions are from the beginning. Can you, I don't want to just like quote your Twitter account because you're right here. Well, uh, like your politics are intersected with your cam life and role playing. Like, what does that look like to you? It means not compromising my moral code to make money. Like, there's some kinks and fetishes that I think are problematic and I don't agree with. And I don't indulge in them no matter how much somebody's willing to pay me. And that makes some people angry. Mm. Are you uh, willing to give examples of some of those that you have like hard nose against? Yeah, it's actually funny because when you originally sent me the questions and asked me if I had any pushback, the answer was generally no, not anything that has been very explosive. Mm -hmm. But it was either yesterday or the day before that, I saw a photo on Twitter of a dominatrix in a Nazi costume. And I called her out and (laughs) was like, you're a Nazi, naturally, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's, That's what I would hope that somebody would do. And there are a few other smaller name Findom and Femdoms that have started within the last year that were backing us up on this. But it turns out that this woman, I'm not going to name any names because 
I don't really find a point in that. This woman is one of the most elite dominatrixes in New York City. So Mm -hmm. we had about eight elite dominatrixes coming at us saying that we don't know anything about BDSM. We don't educate ourselves. We don't belong in this community. We're appropriating their community and we're calling people slurs and just saying horrible, disgusting things. Wow. And basically saying that it's just role play in the name of BDSM. And I think that's ridiculous because in school I study communications and my minor is Africana studies, but it generally translates into critical race theory. And I also look at gender and sexuality And all of those things are relevant to BDSM. So I know that Nazi fetishism and racial humiliation and things like that, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It stems from the culture and institutions that society has created. And it's harmful. So obviously, like, I don't know as much about BDSM as an elite dominatrix that's been doing this for 10 years does, but I know something problematic when I see it. It was disappointing because most of the people attacking me were black women, black dominatrixes. And what were their like reasonings for why it it was okay with them or they were saying that it's just role play and people don't choose their kinks and it's just a scene. Yeah. What would be like a non-political like role play? Like what would be two characters? Like, just to give people, like, an example of, like, how vanilla it can be, I guess. Oh, like, I feel like one of the classic vanilla examples is pizza boy knocks on the door. <laughs> hot girl comes and opens the door. She doesn't have enough money, so she gives him a tip with a blowjob. Yeah, so, like, there, there's not much, like, political stuff going on there, right? It's just, like, the worker, yeah. the plumber coming yeah. over to fix the pipes and, mm-hmm. oh, no. But... One person did argue that Nazi fetishism is about the evil and the power dynamics of the Holocaust, which I understand, but I still think that there are other ways that it could have been done. Like, if you really wanted to go into that kind of power play, why does that authority figure have to be a factual character? Do you know what I mean? Like, they could have created some kind of fake regime or something like sure. that that yeah. wasn't Nazis, especially in a time where the alt-right and Nazi fetishism and Nazis in general are like back on the rise. This is just not the time. Right, right. As well to be doing that. It's, there's just so many things wrong with it. <laughs> so along the grain of racial humiliation, there's debate on if it's not okay for anybody to do it or if it's only okay for people of color to do it, to be the dominant towards a white person. Because Mm -hmm. I think that most people would agree that racial humiliation coming from a white person to a person of color is wrong and is problematic. Like if we're having a white person calling black people slurs and slave names and whatnot, that's not acceptable. But there are people, including myself, that believe that racial humiliation going the opposite way is okay because of the power dynamics and the institutional power dynamics that are involved. Because if a white person is humiliating a person of color racially, it's not a fantasy. That's something that happens to us on a day-to-day basis and something that we can't control. And that's not a scene. But if you are a white person and a black person is doing race play or racial or black person Asian just a POC in general I should say I don't want I don't like to umbrella all POCs under black people I feel like that happens a lot but it's different because it 
truly is a fantasy, especially if it's um, a white male that's a submissive, because they are at the top rung of society for the most part, depending on whatever intersections they have with their identity. And being racially inferior to a person of color is just not a fact of real life. And it's something that truly can be created as a scene or a role play in the mind because reverse racism doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. And that's how I feel about the Nazi fetishism thing, because this woman was saying like, oh, my brother's Jewish, so it's fine. But if you're not Jewish and you're doing anti-Semitic role play, I find that extremely offensive and out of place. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I feel like this leads really well into uh, talking about the topic of being a findom. And first, if you could just for our audience who isn't familiar with findoming, if you could explain what that is. And also maybe expand on how, as a queer Black woman, and all of those boxes are identities that are often disproportionately making less money than white men in particular, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and men in general. I would love to hear, you know, your thoughts on how that can also be this sort of powerful, subversive expression, given that that isn't the way that the social system is actually set up. So financial domination is a relatively new fetish. Um, It flourishes on the internet, and there are dominatrixes that have fin subs, and a fin sub or a financial submissive gets off on sending the dominant money. And this can take different forms. Some fin subs send in increments. Some send their entire paycheck to a dom when they get it. Some only reimburse purchases so you could have like one submissive that reimburses your manicures or another that reimburses your uber rides so the relationship looks different for everybody it's not a cookie cutter fetish and by no means but within that there are many other fetishes so many people are financial submissives but they also enjoy humiliation or smothering or forced feminization or feet fetish. So normally financial domination and just regular domination of all certain types are intertwined and it mostly revolves around money, but there are absolutely other components to it. There are some submissives that just like to throw money at somebody and disappear. I prefer the approach of having long-term relationships with submissives and establishing a dom-sub relationship based on trust because I think that Forming bonds with people is important. And in order to truly submit to somebody, you have to trust them Mm. because you're giving them a very personal and vulnerable part of yourself. Um, So that's my personal way of doing it. I obviously do have some people that throw money at me and leave. Like, I'm not complaining about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I do prefer the more personal aspect of it. Yeah, that sounds, that's such like a lovely and tender perspective when you're probably saying like, you know, what to people who don't understand the nuances of the dynamic would think Mm -hmm. are just like so cold and humiliating. And when I first learned about Findom, it was on another podcast, and they were talking about some of the the pay pig hashtag and just like all the hashtags that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, are just to to the naked eye to the naked observer that would seem so not tender, but you're describing such like a special relationship built on trust. And that's really lovely. Yeah, well, that's another thing with the Findom community that a lot of professional dominatrixes really don't like is that there are a lot of people that do see those hashtags and they're like oh I can just be like fuck you I hate you and people 
throw me money, like that sounds awesome. And they don't know anything about BDSM. Right. So there are a lot of people that just make a Twitter account and pretend to be dominatrixes when they really don't know anything about navigating consent and limits and asking people about their kinks and performing and basically just being responsible because since anybody can make a Twitter account, you know, that's a really slippery slope. Um, so it has become really saturated with pe- what people call Insta doms because mm-hmm. it's people that just hop into the community without any prior knowledge of what BDSM is. So I can understand why both of you saw those hashtags and could have been a little bit disturbed because a lot of them are from people that don't truly understand what it means to have a dom sub relationship. I feel like I n- knew enough about BDSM to not not be disturbed but just I just I think mm-hmm. that there probably are a lot of people who wouldn't totally understand what you're describing. Melody and I were in a class together and we read an article about sex work as care t- as caretaking basically as care work, which mm-hmm. is something you were describing earlier with emotional labor and I think what you're describing now is also really demonstrating the importance of making somebody feel safe and like learning about their kinks and their desires and all of this vulnerability that again is is such feminine labor that women and femmes have been doing for forever and again that's something that i think is so there's such so many misconceptions around around domination in in kink uh play so thanks for like elaborating on that and expanding it i think that's a really important element Melody, do you remember that article? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because I I started riffing off of it. It was about it was about like women in the Toronto. Wasn't that the one with the women in the Toronto, the lesbians in the bath in Toronto? And then like I kind of took up on it. I was going to write an article about sex work as caretaking. I don't know. I I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just been yeah. a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. My brain is full. But also, I didn't even know. So my friend who's a dom, like, she told me about this guy who pays for her pedicures. And I was like, that is so amazing. I didn't know that there was actually a term for it. I just thought it was just all like sub dom stuff. So mm-hmm. thank you for having I didn't I didn't know there was a, t- a term. And I didn't find it. What do people find? disturbing about it like what do people don't especially within like bdsm especially people don't understand it but like what what's the big pushback on it because i just don't find it to be so different than a lot of subdom stuff like in terms of like people being shocked by it or misunderstanding it Mm -hmm. i think a lot of the pushback is against the kind of people that have accounts that are very vocal but they don't understand bdsm okay there's a lot I can't even tell you how many accounts are on the internet where it's just all fuck you pay me you're worthless all this kind of stuff which yes sometimes that does happen but not all submissives are into humiliation and for some reason in the Mm -hmm. community there's this notion that you have to be an asshole to dominate which I don't think is true you don't you can you don't have to be an asshole to be dominant if that's the only way you can do it then you're a shitty dominant in my opinion (laughs) because there's lots of people that all they do is bitch and yell (laughs) and that's pretty much it and bully but I try to do more of like a punishment and reward and I want people to submit to me on their own volition some subs and fin subs are like bullied into their service pretty Mm. much which I think you find that to be unethical oh lazy I think it's lazy for one, but I also do find it unethical because there is a problem where since it's online and since a lot of the times, a lot of the time we don't even do a Skype call or anything oh, or hear the, or hear their voice. So a lot of the time it's mm. just you're texting and mm. 
some people become distanced from the fact that the submissive is an actual person. So that that causes issues. Most of the the pushback is on people that do it irresponsibly. And there's not enough people that do it responsibly. And Hmm. I've only been doing, I've been a year, but I've only been doing financial since about August. So there are some people that have been doing this for like five, 10 years. And those those are the people that I think are the way that financial domination should be, like where they actually are doms and they know what they're doing rather than just somebody that's pretty saying, fuck you, pay me on the internet. Because there's a difference between domination and bullying. And there's and that line has been blurred. And I think that's where a lot of the pushback comes from. I would also say as Melody like as an observer who's not not a participant in in that world something that i feel like just given like my cultural studies lens is that if you look on some of these accounts i think there's a perception of women being just like you know gold digging bitches who just like want their uh-huh. their purses or whatever like there's a lot of cuz there's a lot of performance like play with that with that like persona that I think to me feels very obvious that they're like performing but I think to like men who are awful to women on the internet could be like I mean does that is would you agree with that Zaya yeah oh findom is a lot of smoke and mirrors sex work in general because now since twitter is such a huge and influential platform for sex work you kind of have to perform and make a more enhanced version of yourself for people to find you interesting enough to give you their money so everybody's performing in some kind of way it's not necessarily faking but a lot of people it's a far more enhanced version of themselves my my thought again from coming from sort of like a cultural studies lens is that it's it's so easy to have a misogynistic response to for example like women getting manicures because people were so trained to hate femininity we're so trained to hate women are you know women with money is we have names like gold diggers we don't have that name for mm-hmm. men who want money we just call them successful if men have money right exactly so there's yeah. just yeah so i don't know if that resonates with you that does because i do have some people that come into my inboxes and they want to submit to me in every way they can they want to worship my feet and kiss my ass and whatever and i'm like look money is agency mm-hmm And by you giving that up to me, that is the ultimate form of submission. And as a queer black woman, that is an agency that is quite frequently denied to me. Yeah. No matter how hard I work, just because of the intersections that I have that place me in that rung of society. So a lot of the time, financial domination, especially when it is coming from a person of color or a queer person, is kind of in a reparation sense, like... If you're a white man and you have all of this money and all of this agency and you truly want to submit, you should be willing to give that up. Reparations, like, socialism, like that's those are the principles. Like I love it. Do it. Yeah. Sex work is reparations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. So Oh, like, I'm sorry, you didn't know I just I randomly break out into song yeah. and form jingles <laughs> over what people say. So oh, that's, that would be too. normal. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else like that you wanted that we talked about that you wanted to expand on or anything else you wanted to share to our very feminist, cynical, killjoy listeners? <laughs> yes, there was one question that I did touch on, but there was one like that you actually like typed out to me and it was why is it important to explicitly be political as a sex worker? Mm, yeah. And I think that's an important one to answer. So I would like to answer that. 
Yeah, and I was going to quote, like, because your Twitter account, people should check out your Twitter account to kind of see how political you are, like, within your cam girl persona, like, on the t- mm-hmm. on Twitter, like, you mix your politics directly in. Yeah. Um, and you can say that, like, you're not, you're not doing, for example, I'm not doing Nazi play, like, that's trash, like, I'm not doing it. But you have other politics outside of sex work, obviously. So, yeah, why, why is that so important for you to do? Well, as a sex worker to the average citizen, I feel like people assume that I'm ignorant or uneducated and my opinions don't matter. And that's not true. By living at the margins of society, as I do, I can see so much from being on the outside looking in. And if I have a platform where people are actually listening to me, then I'm going to voice my opinions. And that's especially when I'm camming because If I'm camming and there are 500 people in my room, say, and they're watching my show, if I'm talking and they still want to watch my show, they're going to have to listen to me. I come as a package deal. It's the body and the personality. So I kind of, I wrote a paper last year about fly girls and hip hop and a fly girl would be like salt and pepper, you know, Mm -hmm. they draw people in with their sexuality. But if you listen to their lyrics, they have something to say. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really resonate with. I pull people in with my looks, but they stay for my words. And snapping. <laughs> yeah. <Snappies>. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I obviously do have cis straight men that follow me, but I also have queer clients who really appreciate how vocal I am about these kinds of things because. I feel like a lot of queer people watch porn and feel guilty about it or people of color watch porn and feel guilty about it because a lot of the time it can be very misogynistic or people are misrepresented. But I feel like I can help people be more comfortable with their sexuality and know that they can watch porn ethically and that the people that they're watching are people that have needs, that have politics, that have dreams, like that were not just objects. And on top of that, my existence as a sex worker is political. So to not talk about politics makes no sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Like you're an educator and an activist within just being on the camera. And that's so cool. And also, I feel like that is very attractive and sexy to a lot of people being political. You know, like Rachel and I are people. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I sp- I spoke for you, Rachel. Is that is that a correct? <laughs> no, absolutely. If somebody, yeah, like says something really radical, I, yeah, I'm gonna feel feelings all over my body. <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm saying like that's like a sexy thing. Yeah. And you know the mainstream sex world like leaves politics out when like that's actually hot for a lot of people. You know. Yeah. So God bless the internet and uh, being able to get outside the mainstream. Yeah. So I, I yeah. could see like a lot of not, I mean, you weren't talking about it in this way, but some people might perceive it as like they deal with your politics to get the sex or whatever. As, and as you say, I'm a package deal. I would assume for a lot of people that is a selling point. That's sexy. That could be, that could even be a role play, but even it, just yourself as, as being a sex worker, that's a turn on for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people say that they were pleasantly surprised by my personality. <laughs> oh, and one more thing to add into that and to connect to the racial play that we were talking about earlier. That's another platform that you can use to educate. So if I have 
a white sub that is into racial humiliation I don't really go the humiliation route but I more go the educational route of because a lot of people just don't know right so as a task I'll be like okay you need to read a section out of the feminist killjoy or you need to read like some of Audre Lorde's poems like that's awesome and recite and recite to me what that means to you and what you learned about it (laughs) that is fucking amazing oh my god (laughs) Well, because as a submissive, they have to do what I say. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know. I love that. (laughs) If you want to be able to get your gratification or put your panties on, put a butt plug in your ass, I don't know. You're going to have to learn. (laughs) You're going to have to do what I want you to do first before you get to do what you want to do. That is so amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. That was that was so awesome. You're cool as fuck, and I'm so glad that you taught our audience. I mean, I think most of our listeners are, like, very on board with, probably have a lot of knowledge, or at least some knowledge of um, sex work, but I think you probably educated a lot of folks who don't, mm-hmm. and so that's awesome. Thank you. And where – oh, my first question was, are you going to publish that paper about – Fly Girls, because I would read that and teach that to my students, one. Me too. <laughs> um, so curious about that. And two, just um, where can people find you? You can find all of my links on Twitter. I think that's the easiest way to go. Um, on my Twitter page, all of my links are on my pinned tweet at the top and in my bio. So I'm on a bunch of different websites. I'm on Night Flirt, I Want Clips, FetLife, Collar Space. Sky Private, you can find me on many corners of the internet. (laughs) And if people thought what I had to say was interesting or they have any questions for me, they can feel free to slide into my DMs and ask me any questions about something that I said if they want clarification. I would be completely happy to talk to any of your viewers if that's what they wanted. But yeah, Twitter's the best way to find me. And I'm not publishing that paper. It was only like 10 pages, so it wasn't like a big one. But I'll send it to you guys if you want. Yeah, we'd love that. Have you ended up writing about women in hip-hop? Did you end up writing a paper on that? No, I decided to go the Mr. Rogers route, which makes no <laughs> sense to you, Zaya, and that's fine. Oh. Uh, I have, but I was at a crossroads. I, you what? Crossroads of what? Oh, I had to choose a research project. I was like, I'm going to go down the Mr. Rogers route, or I'm going to go down the 90s hip-hop feminism route. And I haven't given up on the other one. It was just more like what's beneficial in academia blah, 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 blah. It has nothing to do with like respecting one over the other. But I've been fascinated since I was a a girl about how hip hop operated in the 90s and all the strong women that came through, as you said, salt and Peppa and TLC and Missy and the list goes on. So I'm fascinated by that era. And I just like totally respect all the women that came up during that time. And I love learning more about them. So yeah, oh, we, well, I have some resources for you. I'll awesome. send them yeah. your way. <laughs> That'd be great. That would be great. Um, awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Yay. Okay, thanks so much. We'll be in touch soon. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, Sam. And we're back. Hey, Rachel. And we back, and we back. That's never going to get old to me. Um, we're back. That was fun. Zaya is rad as fuck. I have to be honest. I didn't listen to the interview yet. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> you it were was there. grand. I always love talking <laughs> about sex work. It's very 2005 yeah. to 2007 melody. Just yeah, yeah you, you wrote yeah. a whole dissertation yeah. on sex work. Yeah.
Or, yeah. I'm sorry, a whole thesis, rather. Yeah. Master's so thesis. it's uh, it's good. Um, it uh, I was, like, talking about this stuff, so. And, yeah. uh, I mean, super political, radically, just right up our alley in so many ways. So Zaya's yeah. soup's cool. Yeah, it was really it was a really fun combo. Great. So let's wrap up as we always do with what we are reading, watching, and listening to. I'm reading back issues of Bitch magazine because I get it in the mail and then I don't give myself enough time to read for pleasure. See intro where I talked about work life balance. So I've been digging Excellent. through old bitch issues and yep. just getting my feminist on. So that's been really amazing. I have been watching almost nothing, but I have been watching Justin Timberlake interviews because see intro, just trying to get at like where he's been, what he's been saying about Janet Jackson in the past. And just so you know, he was very, he did not like how he responded during the, right after the Super Bowl, but it wasn't because he wasn't supportive of Janet. He was pissed that people weren't spending more time talking about the Iraq war because the war was going on then. Yeah. So he, in an interview with MTV, he was like, um, you know, what's serious the situation in Middle East. Wow. You know what is, is serious? The fact we haven't found weapons of mass destruction. So he didn't say this, like, he then, he didn't say, so that's why I didn't comment. But basically, like, that's what he was explaining. He was like, I thought th- other things were more serious. So I just didn't want to give in to the media circus around it. And he's very well aware that Janet Jackson's career tanked after that. And he wished he could have done something differently to make sure that that didn't happen. But from the way he was talking, he like wasn't expecting any of that to happen. Like he just wanted to not play into the media's Mm. game. So yeah. Okay, well, we'll let him off the hook for that. But um, we're not letting him off the hook in recent news about his uh, working on a Woody Allen film. No, oh, no, 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 of course not. I've been yeah. anti-Woody Allen forever and all people yeah. that are involved. So yes, of course, that's not a that's not a hard argument to make at all. He's also, yeah. okay, yeah, I'm listening to This American Life, which is like no duh, but I haven't listened to it in a long time because our local station stopped playing it Sunday nights when I'm in the kitchen cooking. And so I've been listening to it again and it feels really good. Feels comforting, like reading mm-hmm. Bitch Magazine and old. Yeah, that's lovely. I'm feeling very comfortable. It's like sex work talks, Justin Timberlake, old Justin Timberlake. It's very not. Yeah, it's like very uh, late yeah. 90s, early 2000s, like feminist life. I like it. I, I like that's my essence. Okay, what are you RWLing? I'm reading finally The Politics of Everybody, which a uh, friend of the show, a uh, listener, and now who has become a friend, Matthew Harris, uh, recommended. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's What up, Matthew? Yep, he recommended this book to me because it is about queer theory, Marxism, feminism, and the intersections of those things. And I was like, oh, so like literally the perfect book for me? And he was like, yes. Wow. So I'm finally reading it, and it's really great. It articulates – I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, I think I'll have some like critiques of it, but mostly it's like articulating – everything that runs through my brain when I like live in all the, all three of those worlds as like a teacher and a, and a writer and a researcher. So I'm really, really enjoying it. Thank you, Matt, for that recommendation. Watching, I watched The People vs. OJ. I don't remember if I mentioned that last week. That is such a good show. It really is. I like, we like binge watched it in a week. I haven't done that with a show in a long time. And uh, it was so good. I would, I would, yeah, we should definitely talk about it either on 
one of our episodes or a bonus up because I'm also like very fascinated and I want to have like a conversation that I just actually had with my students about the rise of American crime shows and I know I'm not the first person to like want to like discuss this but particularly like this like 90s era like OJ, Tanya Harding. Oh yeah Um, you're right. There's a new show about Waco, Texas like so I just think there's something like and again I'm sure somebody's written about this but I think there's something worth exploring there. So that's what I watched and then listening to um Oh, lots of podcasts and some teaching po- two podcasting courses. On Monday, my students shared clips of their assignment was to pick an episode of a show that they like that um, uses skills that we sort of talked about because we kind of took a step back from podcasting and it's like, hey, you hear this one sound file, but here are all the elements that go into creating that sound file. And we used This American Life as their first example that we analyzed in class and then they, mm-hmm. they were supposed to pick a, an episode and do like the same kind of analysis. And one of my students played a clip from The Heart, which listeners know that you and I both really enjoy that show. And so it was just, I just got on like a heart kick again because we just like nerded out about how much we love that show. Hi, Daniel. Um, oh, hi, Kit Yeah, Daniel, hi, Daniel really likes The Heart too. He's very sensitive. Yeah. So makes a lot of <laughs> yeah. sense. Is he like a Cancer, Cancer Rising maybe, Cancer Moon, Pisces? Yeah, maybe. we haven't that's done his chart, but I need to figure out when his birth time was and then we'll... We'll chart that out, but definitely that's yeah. that's feeling real to yeah. me there. Yeah. So anyway, so listening to a bunch of all, all my norm, all my podcasts, but the heart included. Great. So good, good talk. WTF. Power. Let's 
Come on, how many guys you know make love? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. What we have here is subject to controversy. A three-letter word some regard as a curse. See, he may fiend and have a dream because he's seen a teen in tight jeans what makes him react like that is biological the scheme on getting in those jeans is diabolical but of course he does it and she gives them rap and before you even know it they jump in the sack as a matter of fact sometimes it's like that but anyway ready or not here he comes and like a dumb son of a gun oops he forgot the condoms hey. oh well you say what the hell it's chill i won't get got i'm on the pill until the sores pours and stuff pours down your drawers Ew. he gave it to you and now it's all yours 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 let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be let's talk about sex Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you.